Well, as a new agent who moved to San Francisco with her Volkswagen Dasher and maybe $1,000 in my savings account and not knowing anyone, I paid attention to the basic training that I was given, and that meant doing very basic things that realtors are supposed to do to create business. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Cynthia Commons. And today we're digging into her experience as a realtor in the San Francisco area for the past 30 years. We dig into the San Francisco market, changes in that market, especially over the course of 2022, as interest rates have gone up and so many other things that have changed, we talk about the dynamics of the San Francisco real estate market, some of the unique aspects of it being such a high-end and more expensive market. Then we also dig a bit deeper into what it takes to be a successful real estate agent, particularly in an expensive area. We talk about what realtors should bring to the table and so much more. Cynthia is definitely a successful agent. She called us from her vacation home in Northern California using Starlink internet, which is so awesome. I love the 21st century aspect of our discussion here today as well. Great conversation. Cynthia is a very kind person. We had a great conversation both before and after we were recording, and she provides a lot of awesome, helpful information in this episode today, particularly if you're engaged in the San Francisco market or you're considering becoming a realtor out there. If you wanna be a realtor, it takes commitment, it takes drive, and we dive into what made her successful as well. So a lot of great information in this one. Great conversation with Cynthia. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about investing with us, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call with me. I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, our guest is Cynthia Cummins. Without any further ado, here we go. Cynthia, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here, Taylor. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do out there in San Francisco? I am a residential real estate agent. I've been doing this, I'm a little bit sad to say, for more than 30 years. Nice. And I have my own agency called Kindred SF Homes. I also write a blog called realestatetherapy.org and love living in San Francisco. So nice. And that's I, me. If we can peel back the curtain just a little bit, you also told me that you're actually calling from Northern California from your second home and using Starlink internet right now. So things are going pretty well out there for you. <laughs> well, it's funny because I li- I'm in Weed, California, which is a name for a guy <laughs> whose last name was Weed. And I'm I'm right on the flanks of Mount Shasta. So it's a very beautiful Northern California setting. But really, until about two months ago, we had pretty much dial-up internet here. 
So Starlink is like, you know, it's truly a space age sort of innovation and we're loving it. Although I am working more for my vacation home. <laughs> Everything, uh, you know, double-edged sword type of thing. So I first want to start it off by learning about what it takes to be successful in the San Francisco real estate market. Because you know, as we were discussing, that's a unique market. You can pick out probably a handful of markets in the country that are unlike any other. Where I am in Richmond, Virginia, it's probably comparable to most you know, secondary cities around the country, but New York, probably LA, San Francisco, Miami, you know, we could throw one other in there that are probably not comparable to any other than that, that five. So I'd like to dig into what it takes to be successful in that market. Well, it's definitely something that as a realtor, you can't be a realtor in San Francisco and be successful if it's a part-time endeavor. And the numbers are so big the stakes are so high that one must bring a high level of caring and professionalism to the work. We really have to be dedicated. And that means being dedicated to the people we serve. When you're paying a million and a half dollars for a two-bedroom condo, wow! and this is a young couple's first purchase, it's their first home, You don't want somebody who's just thinking about making a sale. You want an agent who's thinking about building a lifelong relationship with you, the buyer, who's invested in your growth and your progress. And that takes this particular mindset that I don't, I think that successful agents in San Francisco clearly understand that they don't sell real estate. They don't sell houses. The house sells itself. They're there to facilitate support and their clients and to take their fiduciary obligation really seriously. Nice. So I don't want to put the uh, chicken before the egg here, however we want to look at that, but there's a there's a two parts of the transaction, right? You need to find a buyer and a property for them to buy. So I guess, which of those would you say is the more difficult aspect of building this? I guess you said it's relationships is probably a buyer, but you know, how do you, how do you parse those two parts of the deal? So the, the question is finding buyers to represent yeah. and then finding them property. Yeah. Well, my own practice is such that Kindred, we're about 50-50 listings and buyer reps. I make it a practice. It's a principle of mine not to represent my own buyers for my own listings, right? Because I think there's an inherent conflict Mm -hmm. that makes that hard. And so a lot of my buyers come from my listings because they inquire about my listing. And listings and buyers come from word of mouth referrals from past clients for the most part. I will say that until very recently, really until just a few weeks ago, the most of the time in San Francisco, there's a real dearth of inventory. Mm-hmm. There are months of supply, which is a industry standard, is so low in San Francisco that you have many buyers for every property. So, you know, it, it is February, you, you know, I sold a house. We had 10 offers. The lowest offer was well over the asking price. Now that's shifted a little bit in light of recent trends. <laughs> and uh, huh, 
a lot of us are out there looking for buyers, right? Where are they? Where did they go? When are they coming back? Why aren't they buying? So would you say, I mean, there's there are a lot of things happening right now. Interest rates are going up relatively quickly and that is having an impact on mortgage rates and all that kind of thing. But we've also seen layoffs and hiring freezes in the tech industry and San Francisco being pretty heavy tech exposure. And let's face it, who can afford a million dollar, million and a half dollar condo? It's, you know, tech professionals that are earning uh, higher amounts of money. So would you see it's say it's more driven by interest rates going up and that making a new purchase more expensive or the general maybe slowdown in the tech industry? Well, certainly both those factors are contributing to this situation. I would add in that the stock market's performance has greatly eroded a lot of people's assets that they were going to use for the down payment. So, you know, the couple that was planning a $300,000 down payment and now it's worth one they they're loath to take their money out now. But for people who don't have down payment problems and aren't worried about their jobs, and there are a lot of those people in San Francisco, the main thing that's holding them back is the concern that they're the only ones buying right now and that they're going to regret it later. I always say that buyers don't buy in a buyer's market, right? I mean, the best time to buy is when other people aren't buying. Yes, it's true. Whereas I... As Baron Rothschild, I think, said, you know, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets, mm-hmm. even if it's your own families. Is that that's a really dark quote? Yes. But interest rates are not that much higher, and both inventory availability and pricing are being affected by this. So, a lot of people might find that if they buy now, even though the interest rate's a little higher, the price is low enough that the monthly carry is the same. And they, there was something else I was going to say about that. They're getting to, they're not competing with eight other buyers. Mm -hmm. And now guess what? Buyers today in San Francisco, they get to have things like a loan contingency, (laughs) an inspection contingency, an appraisal condition. Whereas just in April, you couldn't ask for any of those things. You had to pay a big number, come in with no contingencies, 3% deposit and close in 21 days. So great time to buy, but people, friends and family are saying, better not buy now, could get worse. And yes, it could get worse, but over time, it'll be fine. So that is the, yeah, the concern is whether they're they're catching a falling knife. And, and San Francisco, my understanding is San Francisco was hit particularly hard in the Great Recession, it really ran up, really crashed. And then, you know, the big concern is, are we looking at that again today? Now, there are a lot of interesting things you said in there. A few things I want to hit on. First off, I find really interesting that people who are shopping with stock holdings and they're shopping for a house hadn't sold those so that they had cash ready to go <laughs> so that they could close on a property. I mean, maybe it's a convenient contingency to have, have if you decide, I don't want to actually want this property and I need an easy out. But to me, that's kind of baffling that, you know, you're, you think you need to remain in the market for just a couple more months. You know, I'd rather cash out and have the cash ready to go. So I don't need to worry about that volatility and just be able to buy. I don't, that's surprising to me. Yeah, it is surprising, but you know, there's this mindset of just going to keep it in there as long as I can, because it's going up, 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 up. 
And why should I liquidate when it might take me three to six months to find a place that I want to buy? And yeah, so that is kind of surprising. And, and so now as a seller's agent, one of the things that we're asking for is proof of funds and show us that you've liquidated your stock. Show us that you have the down payment ready because we don't want to get three weeks down the road and find out that, oh, wait a minute, we can't go through with this deal. <laughs> yeah, that would be a big concern. And to me, I guess maybe they had thought, hey, three to six months, how could the market really go down at that time? Well, obviously, yes, it can, but they just assumed maybe it couldn't. Like you said, it's just going to go up, 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 up. Another great comment or observation that I think you made is about the best time to be a buyer is in a buyer's market, but it's a buyer's market because people aren't buying and buyers don't buy in a buyer's market. So right. I, I said it much less eloquently than you did, but- No, you said it great. Dig into that a little bit more and, and what that really means. I think what it means is it's just so psychological. You know, it's just like when you're, here's an example. If I go into a boutique and I see a beautiful silk scarf for sale, and I think, gosh, that's awfully nice, but gee, they want a lot of money for it and I don't need it. Then some other lady comes in and goes up and says, wow, I love this scarf. As soon as she turns her back, I'm apt to run over there and grab it. <laughs> yes. it's <laughs> a good point. But if nobody wants it, I'm like, ah, you know, I can do without it. So I, it's, it's very psychological. And, and in San Francisco, where the numbers are so high where I have several clients right now who have a budget up to $4 million for their, for their home, you know, and these are just somewhat ordinary people with young children. They don't want to make a mistake, right? Because it's so loaded up. They don't want to, to, you know, put down $600,000 and have it not work out. And and so their parents, for example, back in Columbus, Ohio, or Phoenix, Arizona, or China, right, may be saying, hmm, that sounds like a lot of money for a three-bedroom house, $3 million and 600000 down. Are you mm -hmm. sure? Are you sure? So it, it takes a lot of faith and a lot of, of uh, relax, being able to relax into it to go forward. It's hard. <laughs> well, you you highlighted a, a very good point. Is is that it's that's the, that's the price point, right? If you had that amount of money in in my area and probably where most of our listeners live, I mean, you would get a, a, a regal estate. I mean, for four million dollars, it's a completely different world. You don't get a three bedroom house for four million bucks. You get a, a mansion of the best mansion in the city, right? Correct. Yes. So everybody always wants to talk about, especially when we're speaking with folks who've been in the market since, you know, through multiple market cycles, everybody always wants to compare now to pre-Great Recession. And love to dig into your thoughts, you know, especially in light of the, the San Francisco market, you were involved there at the time during the run-up, you're involved now. So what are your thoughts comparing and contrasting today's real estate market to whatever, 15 years ago? Today's a little tricky because everything seems to be happening so quickly, right? Like there was about a two-week window, like if you didn't have your property in San Francisco on the market by May, the first week of May, you were in trouble because everything just came to a screeching halt. But I know from experience that 
that never holds for long. Like the pandemic, when we went into shelter in place, I thought, hey, this is great. I can take a year off and just write my book, <laughs> right? Sleep yeah. in, you know, lose five pounds, right? I had all these plans. Boy, was I wrong. The next thing I know, I had never been so busy. And, you know, same thing with 2008, 2009, the people who bought at the bottom of that trough. Wow, what a great buy that was. And, and there were a lot of reasons at the time to say, boy, this seems a little nervous making. Maybe I shouldn't buy now, but they're all, they all became pretty happy that they did. Yeah. Everybody just wants to avoid being the person who bought at the peak, right? Uh, every, every trough had a peak right before it, right? Especially in, in San Francisco. So I'm wondering about, you know, your thoughts, whether we're at a peak right now, right? Are we headed to that next severe trough? I mean, it's one thing if it's a, a handful of percent, two, three percent dip. It's another thing if it's tens of, of percentage right. uh, point drops, you know? I, well, I would love it if I'm wrong about this. It'd be great if I'm wrong, but I think we're definitely past the peak. I think that was in March. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so and I think it's going to be a little bit of a rolling hill sort of scenario. I don't think we're, we're going to have a landslide down. I don't think it's going to get too deep, but I could be wrong. I, you know, I could, I'm definitely ready to be wrong about that. Well, it's interesting to hear you say, I think folks often uh, trying to equate now to the Great Recession. A large part of the real estate crash in the Great Recession was capital markets locking up because extensive fraud, you know, in Wall Street and the ratings agencies and everything, not exactly real estate related, real real estate finance related, but that was yes. also the financial system uh, crumbling. So I'd like to dig into growing as as a realtor, right? Because you have to, if a lot of realtors really never get their get their feet off the ground, like you said, right when we started, it's not a part-time gig. You know, you gotta, you gotta do it full-time, but a lot of people kind of try to do it part-time and in other markets never really succeed, right? But I imagine you're in, in growing, you, know, you got to the point where you have a vacation home. So growing your team, <laughs> bringing right. people in, outsourcing tasks, things like that, really becoming a, a business owner rather than an employee. So let's dig into that a little bit and, and your lessons you learned. What have I learned? Well, as a new agent who moved to San Francisco with her Volkswagen Dasher and maybe $1,000 in my savings account and not knowing anyone, I paid attention to the basic training that I was given. And that meant doing very basic things that realtors are supposed to do to create business. That meant things like knocking on doors. In fact, my very first sale came from knocking on a door. Nice. The man entered, he opened the door, he said, and I was just there to invite him to an open house I was holding for another agent nearby. And he said, you must have been sent from heaven. I just got here last night from New York and I have a week to buy a house, right? Great. And I got so excited. I said, great, that I left. And this was before cell phones and stuff. So I had to go back to the house and put a note under the door later to say, you know, here's my number. How should we meet? And in fact, he bought something. And some people hear that story and say, well, how easy was that? Well, no, it wasn't easy because I had to have the courage to actually go knock on the doors. 
Yes. And and then what followed after that was just working all the time, really all the time, 24-7, and being obsessed with real estate and trying to learn what made the difference with people. What what was what was what was important? And I think what was important, what emerged over the years for me was that it's a home. It's not a house. First and foremost, it's your home. Next, it's an investment. But for almost everyone, home is also kind of a symbol and a manifestation of all of our dreams and our thoughts about ourselves and our worthiness. So it's very rich and it's very complicated. And if you're lucky, the home buying or selling process can be, it's not just a transaction, it's a transition and it's always difficult. But if you're lucky, it can be a transformation. And I love, I love walking with people through that. To me, sometimes the more difficult it becomes, the better. Like, you know, some, there's almost always some kind of crisis embedded in the middle of the deal. And looking for the truth, looking for what makes sense for people. And that may mean not buying, not selling, renting, moving out of state. Looking for the truth is the main thing. And that's what I do. The, the good part about that is if you're looking for the truth, you can kind of take it easy. You can be... I'm not saying lazy, but you can be a little bit lazy. You don't have to will something to happen. You don't have to make a sale. I'm not down there trying to sell you a new Hyundai Kona, right? Because <laughs> I got to sell five of them. It's great to be able to just figure out what really, how can I help people? How can I listen to them? And, and it's beautiful because it's a very intimate relationship, right? You know? I mean, people are very exposed during this process. And for me to be a kid during that time is really important. Nice. Yeah, that rings true to me. We just, listeners will know, we recently bought a new house and, and moved. And it's very different from buying an investment property that we're not going to live in. It's not going to be our home. We don't need to think about, well, you know, our, our commute or what's it going to be like to, you know, how are we going to set up this bedroom or all those kinds of things? What are the cats going to think? I don't know. It's very, it's a very different process from uh, a very different thought process and it has more meaning than buying an investment property. So um, yeah, all great points. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Cynthia, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh, gosh, I hope so. Love it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Therapy. Nice. Lots of therapy and lots of mindfulness training. It has served me in every aspect of my life in every way. So Love it. And I'm almost cured. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you do seem to really patiently think through your answers to all the questions and, and what you really mean to say, which I think we could all do a little more, myself included. I think it's a, it's a smart thing to do, be a little more mindful about what we say and in, in our daily lives. So awesome. So we have the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh, oh, there's so many. There's so many that it's hard to hard to say, but what what pops into my mind is that hand sanitizer kiosk in a supermarket that I invested in for a marketing vehicle. So cost a lot of money. And um, now when people go to a particular grocery store in San Francisco, after they pay and they return their shopping cart and they're leaving right by the doors, there's a little kiosk with me <laughs> offering them hand sanitizer. And <laughs> I don't know. I The main thing that happens is when my, like when my son shops there or any of my clients, you know, they'll say, Hey, I saw you. <laughs> I saw you on the, on the supermarket hand sanitizer kiosk, but I don't think any business is going to come from that. Mm, that's a rough one. <laughs> my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think that, well, there's two parts to this. There's this old saying, uh, and psychology saying, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So <laughs> if you're getting all worked up about something, you're really getting upset because the microwave isn't included in the sale. That's about something else besides the microwave. And maybe I or you need to sit down and give some careful thought to what that, where that's coming from, because it's not about the real estate transaction. And, and other than that, I think that always looking for the thing that's easy, like letting water find its way. What feels good? What is, what, how can you turn this so that it feels good? How can you think about this negotiation so that everybody has a little bit of a happy result and detach a little bit from your expectations and the bottom line will be much easier and all those details won't matter later. In fact, you won't remember them. Nice. I love both of those. The the, the first one, uh, if, it, if it's hysterical, it's historical. That really rings true to me for reasons I'm definitely not going to say on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> no, that's uh, I get that one. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to track you down, maybe they're in San Francisco, they want to buy a house or anything like that. Where can they find you? Well, my website is www.kindredsfhomes.com and all my information is there plus linked to my blog. And I'd love it if people would track me down. I will go for a walk in one of our beautiful parks. I love that. And your blog, Real Estate Therapy, if I'm not mistaken. Realestatetherapy.org, which is Very. a little different perspective on real estate. Very relevant to our uh, the latter part of our conversation. I want to thank you once again for joining us today. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.